0: I'm investigative reporter Chris Halsting, and this is Interview with Evil, Ted Bundy's FBI Confessions. We begin this episode on July 14, 1974. It was a sunny, beautiful day at Sammamish Lake Park, a little piece of heaven east of Seattle about 15 miles, nestled in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. The beach was packed with a thousand people enjoying the lake and drinking beer at a major corporate function. This was also the time and place that serial killer Ted Bundy decided to make his mark on history, to take a piece of notoriety that nobody would ever forget. Over a four-hour period, he kidnapped two women, not at the same time, rather stealing one away, stashing her unconscious body in the woods, and then returning to take another. One of the victims was 23-year-old Janice Ott. She was a caseworker at a youth services center. She'd left a note behind for her roommate that she was going sunbathing. The other, 18-year-old Denise Marie Nasland. She wasn't even alone. She was at the park with her boyfriend and another couple. She went to the bathroom and never returned. Parts of their bodies were found several months later. And during his 1989 death row confession, Bundy admitted in passing to dismembering both women.
1: Probably about 200 yards east of where you pointed out George Ann Hawkins and Otten Nassim's remains were found. Along that road that goes back along the highway is where we found a little paperback book.
2: You find lots of strange things up that pass. Ah, uh, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, being something of a vicarious sort. I, I used to be up, I used to go up there just to entertain myself when, uh, you know, I read the paper that somebody was off, and I went up there and just cruise around <laughs> and set it off and search the side roads. It's amazing mm-hmm. the things you find up there. It's a very convenient dumping area. It used to be, you know, I probably still is.
0: i ask one last question. Detective Bob Keppel, who at this time was working as chief investigator for the Washington Attorney General, was leading the questioning. He asked Bundy if he tried to take a third victim that same day. Bundy just
1: laughed. I believe Janice Graham, one of our... The first gal you approached at Lake Samantha State Park, she walked all the way to the car with you, and then... Decided not to go. Well, so she's the only one that ever saw the Volkswagen. No, no, I, I think this is, um, as, as you
2: no doubt discovered, there are a lot of light going Volkswagen. No, I know. Yeah. And I don't mean to a virtual bubble. It is an interesting uh, coincidence. hmm uh, But the uh, God, I would have, you would have never seen me. Make some matter party state park again with all that heat it a lot of heat there uh, that would have been fairly memorable and uh, no that i was certain that that
0: could be now back to 1974. as you can imagine in the days and months after the kidnappings local police mounted a massive effort to discover who could have committed such a brazen act my quest to find out more about how the police responded led me to a secret truly undiscovered trove of audio recordings, pictures, and investigation files locked away inside the King County, Washington, Archives building.
3: So this is currently our only climate-controlled space, although, as I mentioned, after we're renovated, we'll have two climate-controlled spaces.
0: Um, I'd like to introduce you to Danielle Boucher. She's a researcher and chief archivist of all of King County's historical files.
3: I consider myself a historian. Um, that's That's what my master's degree is in, that's what my background is in, and that's where my love is. But archives is sort of a natural outcropping of that. Within the field, you'll often hear that there's a debate whether historians make better archivists or whether librarians make better archivists. There's two different schools of thought. I, of course, come down on the side of, well, of course historians would make better archivists because why wouldn't we, but.
0: The King County Archive Building is an unassuming single-story structure tucked up on Cherry Hill, east of Seattle's downtown. Entering the secured reception area feels like you're walking up to your local library help desk. The difference here is that there are a huge pair of steel doors along one set of walls The locked doors have the word vault painted on them in bold letters. Inside is a surprisingly vast warehouse that stores millions of public records, leather bound books of who owns property, and architectural drawings rolled up in stacks of tubes, and black and white photos of all the bridges of King County. Danielle escorted our crew through the keycarded security entrance and into a special room within a special room. This is where all the evidence related to the Ted Bundy case sits. Yeah,
3: it's kind of our own little, our own little corner of serial killer history. A lot of times it's like this. And you can see these are actually just stacked in there and not, somebody at least wrote heavy on it, so we know. But um, so very little. Very little foldering, these are not even upright, everything's just kind of piled in the box. Um, The King County Sheriff's Office had brought the records to the Archives to do sort of some initial processing and some of the initial redactions, but at the time that they were doing the redactions, they were redacting to a different standard than what they probably should have. They were mostly concerned with personal information, so names, phone numbers, social security numbers, that kind of thing, Um, but not necessarily looking at other restricted categories like human remains and uncharged suspects, um, underage victims of sexual assault, that sort of thing. So while we have a redacted version of the case files, we are currently undergoing a project to basically re-review the entire collection.
0: Inside the Bundy box were thousands of items from the original investigation. Sketchings of fantasy scenes involving both men and women found by a man who had repossessed a Volkswagen campmobile, mobile. Maps of body dump sites in Issaquah, crime scene photos. There was a DMV list of all Volkswagens modeled 1970 through 1974 with anyone registered to Ted, Ed, T or E. Bob Keppel's original black notebook sits in the file. And according to the archive files in April of 1975, police had checked 900 vehicles, 2,200 suspects, all but 50 were eliminated. Kind of scary that 50 people were potentially capable of doing what Ted Bundy did. And to our surprise, there was a box of audio recordings from the 1970s, which had not ever been dubbed off their original cassette tapes.
3: I have not listened to all of these. Wow. That's one of the things that we have on our agenda for our screening project, is to go through and make sure because the other problem with some of the stuff is it's not well described. So um, somebody has to. So somebody has to listen to it just in terms of fi- you know. What's what's the tape about? When's it dated? How long is it? Is there is there restricted information? If there is, has it been restricted? If there's not, then what do we need to do to restrict it? Um, Considering how much work has been done on this collection, a lot of it was done on the textual documents and the photograph. So the media stuff that we have is it's a little bit more raw in terms of the level of processing. Um so eventually I will be listening to all of these.
0: <laughs> I submitted an open records act request right away, and about a month later, Danielle sent us four audio files. They are rough to say the least. Several files though stood out for their unusual nature and are worth investigating.
1: This is Dr. Green speaking. This is April second, nineteen seventy-five.
0: One such audio file was a police-recorded hypnosis session related to that fateful day at Lake Sammamish State Park. The audio file was labeled Dr. Gary Gawain and Dave Sargent of Des Moines, Washington. Sargent was a witness at the park and had memories inside his head, buried, unrevealed about what and who he might have seen that day.
1: And in a moment now I'll ask you to talk, Dave, and you'll stay just as deep as you are now. And I just want you to describe some of the things that go on that day. I think he's got blue jeans on, and a striped shirt. It's striped from right to left. Good. I think very, it's very good. Blue and white. Can you see his arms at all? thinking he has a but I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know for sure. He's talking to two girls. They seem to be just walking around, you know. Okay. Might watch them a while, see where they go. They're walking towards me. One of the girls is about five foot seven, five foot eight. Mm-hmm. She has light blonde, nor she has light brown or blonde hair. Very good. She's wearing blue jeans. Brown shoes. Kind of like the waffle stompers, I think. Okay. I don't know if the guy is wearing boots or not. That sticks my mind, but I don't know. And they're just talking away, you know, like friends. Are they walking towards you now? Yeah, there's a little road up there with a lot of grass on it and they were just uh, they were just walking towards me as if they were coming back from a little you know a walk that they had. Good. But I still can't tell if he has a cast on I can't remember he might have. a shape of a VW comes in my mind but I couldn't say for sure. Just just the round shape at the top of the VW comes in my mind. I mean, you can't see the license plate, though. No. no, I can't. I, if I could get the car more fixed in my mind, where it was. Kind of a light cream color with some metallic flake. or It's either a light green or kind of a camel color. it some metallic flake in it. kind of looks like that. Did you see anyone approach that car all day?
0: I passed the car
1: twice, I think. I didn't see anybody near it.
0: There's nothing in the investigative file which declares Dave Sargent's testimony under hypnosis. Anything like key evidence. But he is listed as a witness. Witness to what is the real question. In hindsight, after years of investigative facts materialized about the Bundy case, Sergeant, as it turns out, may have actually seen something significant. For example, that description of the girl with brown hair matched Janice Ott to a T. And it seems Sergeant struggled to be certain, but he repeatedly mentioned he thought the man that he noticed that day had a cast on his arm, which Bundy admitted to wearing to the park that day. And finally, the Volkswagen description isn't one in which Dave Sargent could likely just guess at. He said camel-colored, an oddly specific color, and one that accurately describes the one Bundy routinely used to transport his victims. All this prompted me to make a couple of calls about the science of forensic hypnosis and how it might work, I tracked down two amazing experts who agreed to share more about the process. First up is Dr. Shelley Stockwell-Nicholas. She is founder of the International Hypnosis Federation and author of 24 books on the subject.
4: So hypnosis is a natural state of heightened awareness that you and everyone who's listening to this has gone in and out of throughout their life. They just didn't call hypnosis. So, for example, if you've ever been driving in the car and you don't remember how you went from here to there, (laughs) um, you know, you were in a natural trance state. Or if you've ever been daydreaming. And most importantly, if you've ever been in love, that's probably the ultimate trance. Now, a lot of criminals that you investigate go into a crime trance. They go into a kind of altered state where they do terrible things. And sometimes they remember, and sometimes they don't remember.
0: Dr. Stockwell-Nicholas says police don't always embrace the science of hypnosis, although it's legal and court admissible in all 50 states.
4: Well, you know, sometimes they get desperate, just like all of us. We've gone through every possibility. We've seen everything that we can see. We don't know where to go. And hypnosis is certainly one way to do it. It's called refreshed memory. And by refreshing the memory of people who might've witnessed something unusual, you might just hit strike gold. It's worth it's worth a shot. It's worth it. It's worth it um, if you don't know where else to go. It's, it, you know, sometimes the police have to be very creative. A police investigator, a detective to be on high alert. He has to know if things are nonsense or make sense. And he has to use his or he or she has to use their intuition as well to sort of decide how they're going to proceed. So um, I don't know if they have to be a true believer, but certainly the information gleaned could be a lead that they could pursue, whether they believe it or not. One of the things that a detective agrees to is to follow leads. So even if they get 10 phone calls or 100 phone calls, they have to pursue the leads that are given to them. This is another lead from the unconscious. I don't know if you remember years ago when the bus was buried with all those school children in it, and the bus driver who was buried with the bus who dug the children out of this situation. um, Couldn't remember the license plate of the car of the criminals. And through hypnosis, he remembered everything but I think the last two digits.
0: That buried bus crime she's referring to is the 1976 Chowchilla, California case. Three kidnappers abducted a school bus driver and 26 children and then hid the entire bunch in a makeshift underground storage container. They wanted ransom money, but before they could get it, the group wiggled free and escaped. A professional hypnotist guided the bus driver to remember nearly all all of the characters of a license plate driven by the perpetrators.
1: You feel free to walk around, look around anywhere you want, any of the parking lots or anything you saw that day, Dave.
0: As for using hypnosis on a witness like Dave Sargent to help catch Ted, Dr. Stockwell Nicholas thinks it's a brilliant idea as long as it was done correctly.
4: So he noticed something in a particular part of the park. So in hypnotizing this man, I would hope that the hypnotist had him um, relive, let's say, through memory, through senses, is what he noticed. And to clarify anything he noticed that seemed to fit the picture or seemed a little out of order. You know, it's a little like this. Have you been to a party or a family gathering and people are all chattering away, and everybody's talking, but you hear your name, and suddenly you listen up. You could hear it all the way across the room, but it calls your attention. Well, some people are tuned into things like that. They're tuned into the unusual, the bizarre, or the doesn't fit the picture moment.
0: Just a good hypnosis session allows the memory to to come out. You're poking a little bit, but um, you don't want to guide
4: You cannot lead the witness. You cannot lead the witness. It's not acceptable. If you lead the witness, you can lead them into a false memory, and a false memory is a terrible thing to do.
0: Geneviève St. Clair is a world-renowned hypnotist Originally from Monte Carlo and owns forensic and clinical hypnosis based in Oregon, She spent her entire life uncovering buried memories. Uh,
5: by the age of 15, I was already hypnotizing classmates in school to help them with blocks and obstacles. And it was always uh, for a therapeutic um, interest. I never did, um, you know, I never had any interest in the show tricks um, other than, uh, you know, studying why it works and all of that. But the reason I got into it is I had to survive um, unsurvivable experiences from a very young age. And when you're cornered, um, you, you probably have heard of the state of peritraumatic dissociation that you experience when all of your options um, are gone and you're facing severe harm and potentially life threats, basically. So when you're no longer able to protect yourself, your mind will split into a state of dissociation that's called peritraumatic dissociation. You see that with um, chases in, in wildlife, you know, when a predator is running after a prey the entire length of the chase, the prey is very much engaged in the body, um, fully active and immersed in the attempt to save their life. And once the predator's jaws close on the prey, uh, you'll see the prey's body going instantly limp, loose, relaxed, and comfortable. And the prey is not dead, but it's that state of peritraumatic dissociation where the mind splits from the body in order to protect yourself from the state of physical, mental, and emotional terror and harm that wouldn't be, uh, the mind wouldn't be able to process. St. Clair, who worked
0: on the high-profile homicide cases of O.J. Simpson and the Menendez brothers, is not surprised detectives wanted to use forensic hypnosis to catch Ted. She does not see it as a desperate measure, rather good police work to help potential witnesses see what they cannot remember
5: so basically when i when I do a forensic regression for criminal uh, cases i um try not to know anything about the case i don't i i, I don't want to know anything just so, so that I'm not um mistakenly um having an opinion of my own you know and the more neutral we are the best but basically, we bring people into that state so um and I also try to have no contact with the person who is going to undergo the regression in in criminal cases. Um, before the session, so I'm, I'm not having any influence on them whatsoever. But what I do is I bring them into that state of hypnotic depth. So now the state itself, scientifically, is known to be a state where the brain functions better. And I'll give you a few explanations on that. Neuroscientists studying electroencephalograms of the alpha and theta brain cycles that we go in during hypnosis explain that that deep attentive physical mental and emotional relaxation that is characteristic of the state of hypnosis produces a significant increase in endorphin levels which are our body's natural opioid system as well as in dopamine and norepinephrine levels enhancing focus and attention and there's a drop in cortisol and the stress hormones that corrupt our clarity of mind. Basically, we've all experienced that the more stressed we are, the less able to think clearly we are. And so that change in the chemical and hormonal balances in our brain creates an ideal state for synthetic thought and creativity functions of the right brain hemisphere. And that places us in an optimal condition to not just learn new information, but remember facts and data and analyze complex situations. So that immediately enhances clarity of mind and enables us to revivify our recall. And that's why when we go into regression, everybody will tell me, I had no idea. I still remembered so clearly.
1: Do you want to walk up and down the parking lot or drive around, look for any VWs? I'll start at Denny's and I'll look around the parking lot. It might. It's parked. I'm out. It's parallel parked about a hundred, fifty feet down the road from the entrance, where the policeman is. And, uh, and if you walked over the opening, you could walk down a hill. You'd be almost at. The
0: Saint Clair also told me, "Entertainment hypnosis—the people who work that Vegas crowd, getting people to think they're chickens—are not representative of what she says is a well-respected, science-based profession, and one in which has helped police routinely engage crime witnesses."
5: That profession and the hypnosis in general has been um, has been the target of a lot of uh, misunderstanding and misperceptions and myths and. All of all of those um, labels and stigma for so long, for the, from the beginning of times, and <clears throat> I think it's like everything else. You know, I mean, when you when you when you really uh, think about any profession, there um, there are always uh, good examples and bad examples. And I found that in recent years, the medical field, um, which was one of the fields that constantly shut down hypnosis for from the beginning of times, and and now the medical field is open to collaborative work. It's, I, I find it to be absolutely um, moving. It's important to have an open mind and also to um, study the data. And, and, you know, the the studies of the brain in that state are clear, are crystal clear. The brain functions better in that state. We know that. In
2: June of 74, you had contact with a subject. Would you tell
1: me the circumstances surrounding that kind
2: Using
0: hypnosis was not the only unconventional investigative technique being used by homicide detectives, desperate to identify their still-unknown college girl serial killer. Here's Danielle Boucher again, speaking with us during our trip to the King County Archive Building.
3: Um, there's a couple of sessions with psychics. I, we believe they're psychics. Um who were talking about possible suspects or victim locations, that kind of thing.
0: There are multiple files inside the King County Bundy archives, which detail the use of mediums, clairvoyants, numerologists, and psychics. It
6: shall be true. And it shall be of some help to those in
0: great need. The recordings are shallow sounding, and you're going to have to strain a bit to hear this. But when I did, it gave me chills
6: more or less as she fell, must have sort of swung because there isn't very much of it showing. And I feel that there was a blow by a sharp instrument across the back of the head. Now, I don't say that it broke the skin. Her hair probably um, would have interfered if it had been. But uh, whatever happened to her afterwards, I feel that there was this blow across the nape of the neck. And uh, she is in undergrowth and green vegetation, there's some grass, some uh, greenery, some bushes or something. And I, uh, I may be wrong about this, but I would say she was probably struck where she is lying. And I think it is not far from the park, where she was last seen. Now, I say not far, but I couldn't possibly tell you how many yards, how many miles. but well, I would not see her as too far away. If there's been a searching, I think they have missed this particular place.
0: That is right on the money. If you remember, Bundy said he struck UW freshman George Ann Hawkins with a tire wow. iron and that she was only unconscious for a short while
2: things that makes it a little bit among the things that makes it difficult is that uh, at this point she was quite lucid talking about things that I again knocked her unconscious and
1: strangled her. Of course it is
6: a sex maniac and uh, also uh, what I would call a compulsive killer and yet when this Man is caught. He will be found to have uh, all of the religious mania as well. Uh, I would say definitely a split personality. I also uh, got the other night that there would be 11 girls all told.
0: Hold on. Bundy, 15 years later on death row, thought long and hard, and counted up the women he had killed in the Pacific Northwest alone. And the number was?
2: I think, it's a, I think it'll be 11. Eleven
6: I do not see him being caught. And uh, I think before too long, he will probably uh, move on to some other place. But uh, the 11 will be accounted for Uh, before he finally disappears. I hope they will catch him, but uh, if he uh, takes off his cast and and comes back into normal society, uh, under no circumstances would anybody attribute these things to humans.
0: For some insight into the way psychics work, I called Phoebe Delaney. She comes from generations of women, who can read dreams and tarot cards. What I teach people is this is a visual tool to
7: help unlock messages that you already basically know. And I come from a family, my grandmother uh, did medium stuff back in the turn of the, uh, the 20th century, the 1890s, 1900s. It was called the spiritualist movement. And she got her experience through um, something she wasn't expecting, but she talked about it her
0: whole life, and I'm pretty sure it was when she handed the gift to me. As an investigative reporter in Denver, I met Phoebe while working on my investigation into a missing mother from Crestone, Colorado, named Crystal Risinger. If you want to hear more about her, I encourage you to download Up and Vanished Season 2. Phoebe says psychics, even the good ones, are not always right, but they very often use their intuition, visions, and readings to relay important and accurate information to police, especially when there are missing victims of violence. Those victims, she says, often reach out from beyond the grave with messages.
7: When I'm working with the cards, one of the things I have to tell people, it is not me that is giving you the information. I am merely a messenger. And the information, it's uh, channeling it, uh, not like, I know there's some of these weirdos, I, I checked them all out when I was younger, that considered themselves channelers, and they'd go into this thing and come out with some weird voice of some other creature or giving giving messages. Uh, most of those people had been uncovered as, like, probably not the real deal. But real channeling is what all authentic readers do. We allow the information to come through us and we speak it. And believe me, I've told people, I know it's not me because sometimes what I'm telling you, I would have never said that. In my experience, almost every reading I've ever done, if it's like someone sends the people to me to get messages and they show up in the cards and it's extremely accurate. And it's, you know, it's like the the most common thing when someone dies is uh, they'll they'll try to give a message to someone left behind that they're either okay or they need help. And one of the things is you might hear a song on the radio. Uh, You might smell something like cigar smoke or, you know, perfume or something that relates to that person or something like that. In fact, I've seen billboards. But then if that doesn't quite shake your boat. They come in a dream, and I, I I, think just about everyone I've ever talked to about this has had this experience has had somebody come to them in a dream.
0: I also found another interesting, never-before-dubbed cassette tape inside that King County Archives Bundy box. It's labeled Police Notations. Case investigation is continuing.
4: Investigating officer Robert D. Keppel, serial number 04533, unit 222.
0: Yes, it's overmodulated, but it appears to be a detective speaking into his recorder in real time back in 1974, while Bundy remained unknown and on the loose. The recording is related to Linda Ann Healy's disappearance.
4: The only unusual thing that happened
0: in the neighborhood
4: was. A short time before Healy disappeared, a suspicious man high on something was strangling a dog that barked at him.
0: Healy was Bundy's first known victim, or at least the first one Bundy admitted to killing. In January 1974, Healy's roommates reported her missing from their apartment, finding bloody sheets and a bloody nightgown in her room. A year later, her skull was found at one of Bundy's dump sites. Bundy lived only three blocks from Healy at the time of her disappearance.
2: But anyway, I don't know. Is there any reason you're asking that question? We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I will say this much, no. Well,
0: Wait a minute. In 1989, during the death row confessional session, Detective Keppel tried Uh, to get Bundy to tell him more, but Bundy held back, Um, indicating he was going to take some things to his grave.
2: What I would like to help people understand is if it's justice, whatever that means they're after, they can get a lot more justice in a couple months than they can right now. And they can help a lot more people in a couple months than they're going to help right now. And they're not going to be doing a thing for me other than giving me a chance to tell the story. Um, I'm repeating myself, but... I've I've I, I uh, have no one but myself to blame about it. I, I realize that, I, and I and I take full responsibility for it. I I procrastinated. I waited too long, and I don't, I don't want to go into long rationale or long story about you know all the things that yeah you know, put me in a position of waiting this long. Believe me, on many occasions prior. To today prior to early this week, I had seriously asked for people who represent me to take this approach long before this warrant was signed, and they steadfastly opposed it and, and, and all but demanded that we stick with the conventional legal approach. And perhaps last February when I virtually begged them to go this way, we had gone this way. Maybe we wouldn't in the, we wouldn't be in the position we are today, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I realize, Bob, where we're, uh, I am, whistling against the wind right now. The po- the politics are, are pretty heavy duty out there. And uh, folks have made up their minds, the, the people in power, a lot of them. And uh, I don't know if this is going to work. And if it doesn't, it's going to be too bad for everybody loses.
0: If you want to hear raw, unredacted versions of Bundy's FBI confessional recordings, I have a couple of options for you. Sign up for our Patreon account and get exclusive access to rare audio files, photos, and other case file documents. Now Patreon had Interview with Evil blocked from searches for the past few weeks after labeling the content adult only. But after a few appeals, Patreon has unblocked our account so you can see and hear what we consider valuable news and public record. Now secondly, and quite frankly, a lot cooler way to listen to Bundy without interruption, is to download a new augmented reality app called Crime Door. You'll be able to immerse yourself into about 500 real crime scenes through AR technology. It allows you to enter a portal, a door, into the very moment of iconic crimes such as John Benet Ramsey's tragic murder and the mysterious death of Nicole Brown Simpson. And coming soon, you'll be able to step inside Bundy's kidnapping of University of Washington freshman George Ann Hawkins. You can listen to Bundy's voice as he describes how he plotted to take the girl, then kill and dismember her, while watching the kidnapping scene unfold in amazingly accurate detail. Download Crime Door today. Coming up in the next segment of Interview with Evil, Ted Bundy's FBI Confessions. We talk with former FBI profiler and author Mary O'Toole about the secrets all serial killers keep.
5: So it's the practice murders that are sloppy. It's the practice murders... That um, show a lot of trial and error. It's the practice murders that
7: put them pretty close to their neighborhood or to a family member and they're not on their game. It's when they become a serial killer officially that
4: they're really good at what they do.
0: And we investigate murders Ted Bundy says he didn't commit including the unsolved case of a little girl who lived along the serial killers paper route when he was a teenager. Was he telling the truth?